No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me, on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. Michelle Friesen caught my eye initially with a post on Instagram. She was addressing her city's council as a sitting councillor herself about the discovery of children's remains at residential schools. She posted a video of her address and then also posted the comments she received from the public afterwards. I also noticed in the video that Michelle was holding her infant son, Theo, at the council meeting, which I found a little bit unusual. I connected with her, and she agreed to have a conversation with me. Michelle is proudly serving as the first Indigenous woman ever on White Horse City Council. The city rests on the traditional territories of the Kwan-Lindun First Nation and her family's First Nation, the Ta'an Kwacha'an Council. Her passion for community and the importance of representation are what inspired her to step into leadership, and she looks forward to continuing to learn and connect with folks who call White Horse home. Michelle serves as the youth representative for the White Horse Aboriginal Women's Circle and is the founder of Shred Hers, a mountain biking group which empowers women through sport and connects them to mental health and wellness resources. She was also a candidate in the 2021 territorial election and continues to share her experience and empower others to seek leadership through her work with Lead As You Are, which aims to encourage diversity and representation in leadership and political roles. As Michelle mentions at the beginning of our interview, her son Theo sat in on the entire thing. And what a joy it was to have him there. 
What an inspiration she is. And she talks about reconciliation in action. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to be talking to you and so inspired uh, by the things that you're doing. Welcome. Thank you. Super happy to be here. Thanks so much for giving me this opportunity to um, share my voice and my experiences and um, hopefully just keep inspiring other people. So, um, And I'm also here with my son, Theo. So if you uh, hear him, sometimes he's got a lot to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's the future, future generation of, of leaders here. So yeah, sometimes he'll chime in if you hear him. That's, that's who that is. <laughs> amazing. And I have seen video of him uh, at council meetings. So pretty amazing. You are setting such an inspirational example. Happy to be supported to have him there with me. I think that is really important. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into this a bit more, I'm sure. But just working inside of like a colonial system this is one thing um, that I see as like reconciliation in action, right? Because in our culture, children are, were always welcome in the room because they are the next generation and that's how they learn. So super um, happy to have that support from the city and from council to have him there with me. How did you get involved in politics? I definitely never saw myself um, as a politician if you would have asked me like five years ago if I would be, you know, having a career in, in politics now or be a city councillor or have run in multiple elections, like I would have told you you were crazy because I just didn't see myself in those roles. And I think when we we've been conditioned to, that when we do think of someone in leadership, you know, it's fits into this box of oh, well, you know, maybe you're someone who wears a suit or maybe you're someone who came from a lot of money or maybe you're someone who has a higher education. Somebody actually approached me to run in the election and they just helped me really to see that the things that I was already doing in the community and just who I am as a person and being empathetic and caring for those around me and lifting up my neighbors, like that's really what we should be looking for in our leadership. Um, and so you know, all it took was that one person coming to me and saying, like, I see you as a leader. And it just changed my whole perspective. And so since getting into politics, that's kind of been like my mission, too, is to help inspire other people to see themselves in these roles and to understand the impact that they are already having by doing the things that they're already doing in the community and just continue inspiring our future leaders to step into these roles because we do belong here. Our voices are important and especially when decisions are being made about our futures, like we need to be in the room and we need to be a part of those conversations. You initially ran uh, in your territory. So we, we think of provincial territorial uh, elections. What inspired you to do that particular run? I was actually working on a project called Shredders at the time. And it was um, a micro grant from the Rising Youth Foundation. Um, and it was to address an issue related to COVID in your community. And so I'm really passionate about mountain biking also. I love mountain biking. And so I um, wanted to bring that passion for biking together um, with mental health and wellness services and, and helping 
um, the focus for this was women, but so it was helping women get out of isolation. Um, you know, we deal with isolation in these remote Northern communities and especially through our dark winters already. And then COVID was in the, um, of course, in the spring and summer. So it was an extended isolation period. And so I, I found that this would be a good way to get out of isolation, get on the land, get outside um, in a safe and healthy way. And then we were able to partner with the Mental Health um, Association, Yukon Association, to provide resources for free counseling and and um, just some other mental health and wellness resources. So that's what I was doing at the time. Um, and <laughs> I had asked um, Kate White, so she's the leader of our Yukon NDP party, and also an incredible cheerleader in our community, and um, also another avid mountain biker. And so I asked her to MC the event. And um, she asked to connect for a coffee. And so I thought we were just going to, you know, go over the event. And, and um, she asked me to run in the election with her. So I was in shock, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember phoning my mom after and being like, is this real life? Did this really just happen? <laughs> and that was the shift. That's all it took. Um, you know, she was like, you know, this isn't just a bike race, which is kind of how I had been looking at it. It's not just a bike race. It's empowering people, lifting up community, community building, you know? And so I always tell people it was the scariest thing I ever did <laughs> deciding to run in that first election because I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But I'm so, so thankful that, you know, people believed in me and supported me and um, that I was able to, um, to take that chance because it changed, it changed the way I view um, leadership. It changed the way that I hope to bring like more representation to the table and it just it yeah it just brought me this love for my community and um you know that's why I am where I am now yeah I guess that was a very long-winded answer <laughs> but that's my that's my story and I love sharing it and it is inspirational to hear the authenticity that you you have is so refreshing. I think that it can be super disappointing, though, to lose an election. Often, people might consider walking away, licking their wounds, and maybe not never doing that again. So what was the driving force for you to get into the municipal election? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and we were so, so close in that election, too. I lost my riding by 46 votes. Oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> it wow. was incredibly close. And my team and I ran, like, the best campaign we could. And I'll always be so proud of all the work that we put in and all the people we were able to reach. And just incredibly grateful for everyone in the community who put their trust in me and shared their stories at the door. And I think one feeling that I didn't, really quite prepare myself for was guilt. I felt really guilty for losing because so many people had put their trust in me. And, you know, I really, really wanted to make the difference that everyone was asking for. And I really, really wanted to be that voice. And I felt like I had let them down. That's something that I think we don't really talk about enough yeah. <laughs> because that was a lot. Like that was really um, heavy to deal with. And, and so 
um, the opportunity to run for council came quite quickly after that. And I, I wasn't sure to, if I'm being honest, I wasn't sure if I was ready to do it again. I didn't put my name forward right away. Um, there were some other like amazing candidates who were already like, <laughs> you know, had signs up and were knocking doors and, and doing all the things. And I was like, oh, I don't know, like, is my heart ready? <laughs> we also had a federal election in between the territorial and municipal. And so oh. I volunteered on the federal election and um, I got out knocking doors again um, as a volunteer and just it reignited that passion for me, just just connecting to the community that way. I just realized, you know what, I, I love this. I love talking to people. I love learning from the community. And of course, I want to run for city council. And so, yeah, I put my name forward um, the night of the federal election. <laughs> I filed my paperwork and ran and um, got the second highest amount of votes. And, <laughs> you know, it was really great to um, have that support still from the community. It's been a ride, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been, been a ride. Exactly. How long ago was that? that you were voted in. How long have you been in office now? It's been just over a year. You're getting used to it. It is a bit of a learning curve as a new counselor to understand a lot of the processes. There's water, there's uh, planning, there's a lot of things, a lot of priorities for council. And now you're coming around uh, for a you know, a year, like you said, and the budget's coming around again. And what has your experience been like uh, with the public? How have they accepted or not accepted you? I know that there are perspectives that are challenging that have never been challenged before. One of my most recent examples of, of this, and, and I talk about this a lot as an Indigenous woman, you know, in the system that was not built for us. Um, it carries a lot of risk. My most recent example of this was speaking about the recent discoveries of unmarked graves in the country. You know, I wanted to talk about it when it happened because I wanted to share the resources. Our policy didn't allow for it. <laughs> so um, I had to wait until the next week's meeting when I could bring it up under new business. And so at the next week's meeting, I wanted to still share those resources and I wanted to still talk about the discoveries, but I also wanted to talk about these barriers and I wanted to talk about the continued mistreatment of Indigenous people and it, I got a lot of backlash initially from that. Emails that were filled with racist comments and just awful questions and scaled from everything from um, my weight <laughs> to what I was wearing um, to, you know, just all the way down to what I was speaking about. And so there was really like at the end of it, you know, there was nothing left to pick apart. <laughs> so I really just wanted to kind of shine a light on, on that. Um, and, um, you know, I put together a, a post just saying, like, here's the message I was trying to share. Um, and, and then here's what the next few days looked like. And that happens all the time. Maybe not to that extent 
I, I just thought it was important to show like here, this is what I mean when I say like we're taking on the risk. And if I don't speak up, then I'm upholding this system. I'm upholding status quo. And that's not what I'm here to do. And if I do speak up, here's like what I have to kind of brace myself for. So it's really hard. It's really exhausting, but it has to be done. <laughs> and I like, I don't want to, I don't want it to be another 30 years before an Indigenous person feels like comfortable or safe to be in this space. We need to like keep taking up the space. If I can even make it a little bit safer <laughs> for the next person, then I will keep speaking up. So regardless, I will keep using my voice, especially now that I have that confidence to speak up and feel more comfortable in this system. I don't think people realize and I'm, I'm talking about white people, unearned privilege. It's emotional labor. It is so much risk, so much risk to your mental health, to your peace, that you've, you're already living this without standing up for it anyway and without exposing it. The microaggressions that people face every single day, wherever they walk, wherever they are, wherever they show up in the world... And you're just shining a light on a tiniest little bit and you're a person in office and this is how you're being treated. I often wonder, and, and I will say, I hate putting myself into the conversation, but I'm going to say that I have been asked to run. And a big reason why I have not is because I don't believe the system works for everyone. And I'm afraid that I can't change the system from the inside. However, I now know after watching you and many other folks speaking out is it's not your job. It is not your job to be doing that. It's because not enough of us white folks are doing that. And you're inspiring enough of white folks to be speaking out instead of you. But you are doing all of that labor. And I'm curious why you are taking all of that on. We definitely need those voices. We need those privileged voices. And you need to take on a lot of the responsibility for that as well. Like, I know, um, you know, it's, it's also like not our place to like have to teach white people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those voices are definitely needed, but they're needed in in a good way. It definitely would help take some of the risk off of us because like you said, we're living those things every day. <laughs> we see it all the time. We're getting those comments like on the street, on Facebook. We're seeing those comments made about our our families and it's emotionally taxing for sure um the microaggressions like i saw this really good video that explains microaggressions and it was like mosquito bites you know like if you get one or two mosquito bites you might not really notice it but if you have a cloud of mosquitoes around you and you go home with 200 mosquito bites you're gonna notice it and you're gonna be annoyed and that's what it's like it's like having a cloud of mosquitoes <laughs> around you all the time. Microaggressions can have a huge impact. And then especially when then you get something big, like these discoveries, or like you hit a barrier in the system, and it just, 
yeah, it feels like a brick wall sometimes. <laughs> How do you take that down? And then, of course, the system is built in a way so that it is difficult to take it down. <laughs> it's difficult to make change. It's slow to make change. But, you know, and I touched on this before, like, just having that voice in the room. Like, if I wasn't at the table, then those questions wouldn't be getting asked. And even just the small changes that we have been able to, to make, those wouldn't have happened, right? So something kind of small, um, I, I feel like it will mean a lot, but it was a, a small change, was adding the First Nation flags that the city, you know, the city is on to First Nations traditional territories. And so in chambers, we have the Canadian flag, um, the territorial flag, and then the city of Whitehorse flag. So now we're adding the First Nation flags, right? And so it's a small change, but it really means a lot. And it's and it serves as a reminder that, you know, we're on their territory, <laughs> you know? We're yeah. here because we're on their land and we're benefiting and, and thriving off of their contributions. I just think it's important to remember that. So, and then there's also hard things like talking about our vehicle for hire bylaw. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of women um, and gender diverse people have been experiencing assaults and discrimination using a service that, you know, is supposed to, to, to provide you a safe way home or a safe way, you know, between point A and B. And that's that's not the reality for a lot of our folks. And it's definitely not the reality for Indigenous women. And so, um, you know, those are some of the tougher conversations that we're having. And those are um, some of the bigger changes that that um, we can be making. Having all the voices is important. Having the help <laughs> without having to do the teaching is important. Um, and it's okay. It's okay to ask questions. And I think that's maybe where people get confused <laughs> or where they struggle. Like it's not okay to ask for education and then keep making the same mistake. You know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay. We're all going to. I make mistakes. I don't know everything. But once you learn, then you need to change. And if you keep making that same mistake, then that's not okay. Like if you're doing that intentionally, then that's not okay. But yeah, we just need those voices to keep speaking up. You know, I mentioned in the first year, not really having the confidence to always speak up, but in my gut, I knew I should speak up. Like, listen to your gut <laughs> because it hasn't steered me wrong yet. You know, if something feels wrong, then say it, say it. It's great advice. Can you tell me about how it was, it came to pass that Theo is in chambers with you sometimes? Uh, you know what? I just brought him. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I didn't really ask for permission. Yeah, he just came with me. So my um, husband and I have been um, working on adopting for a while. And so, you know, I didn't really have the privilege of like, you know, being pregnant and having nine months to figure out a plan. And <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, so um, we didn't know when we would be, you know, selected, I guess. That sounds weird, but... <laughs> No, I get we it. I understand. Yeah, we, we didn't know like when we would be um, picked or when our 
our training would be completely done or when our home study would be completely done because it's quite a lengthy process. Yeah, when we found out Theo was coming, it was like a matter of weeks. <laughs> and then he was born early. He was born almost two months early. So, <laughs> Wow, he was in a hurry. Yeah, he wanted to come meet us. <laughs> yeah. So it happened really quickly and we kind of just like, took off to go meet him and yeah I didn't ask for permission I just was like he's coming and that's that's the way it is and um after um running in my first election and realizing like how important that representation piece is and like how important you know what a difference it would have made for someone like me who didn't see themselves in politics to like have had somebody like that to to see and be like oh yeah that's like I see myself in them I can do this that representation became really important for me just like as a young person as an indigenous woman um and then now you know as as a parent like I think it's so important to see all of those things in um in our leadership and like and and leadership to me doesn't necessarily just mean politics either um leadership can mean so many different things but yeah like of course we need parents voices there <laughs> like of course we need women's voices there and so yeah it was just like one more thing that it's like you can do this and you should do this <laughs> and did you get any reaction any any well any kind of reaction from any of the other counselors or or the public or anything none no amazing no no you know that i had maybe like one person who didn't agree with him being there but, you know, I, I just took that as a opportunity, like a learning opportunity to, to share with them, you know, like, to me, this is reconciliation. This is something that we're working towards. And also, like, we, we need these voices. We need this representation. And this is, you know, breaking down a barrier. This is one of the reasons why we don't have the representation from women, just parents in general in in politics you know and this is why there are gaps in like education and daycare and <laughs> all these things right so um yeah I just kind of that's and that's how I always respond you know when I get those negative comments it's like okay well here's like a different way to look at that <laughs> and that doesn't always work out for me but <laughs> no everybody's being really supportive and yeah just being able to share the message that like being a mother doesn't change the fact that like I'm still deserving to be here and um, doesn't change how hard I work. I work incredibly hard. I almost probably work harder because I'm trying to, you know, now make a better place for my son to grow up in as well. My voice is still worthy and deserving to be heard. Are there any other changes that you would like to make in your term towards reconciliation and decolonization? Like maybe the way you gather in a circle, you know, sharing wisdom or just any kind of examples like that, that you would like to implement? Oh my gosh. Let me get out my scroll, my list here. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd have some. Yeah, we kind of sit in a semicircle in chambers already. And so one thing that I've noticed um, is that, you know, everyone just kind of cuts through the circle or goes to their seat however you want. And one thing I'd really love to do, and it seems so small, is, but just moving in the circle from left to right. It's the way, you know, the sun 
rises and sets and it's just it's little right but like it can be something that small that just people will notice and people will recognize that you know we're setting an example and we've been hosting town halls recently so we sit at the front of the room and and everybody who comes to ask us questions kind of sits facing us so I think like also that would be a really great opportunity to just like sit in a circle and just be together I've asked to do a smudge in chambers mm. so um they've been really supportive of that as well and I, I was gonna do it last year and then my truck didn't start that day but <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah um no the city's been really supportive of that and um, we'll be doing that soon so I think like just having the opportunity to go and just say um like a simple prayer over you know asking creator to look over our work and make sure that we're doing things in a good way and mm. and just cleansing that space because I feel like that space has been really negative for me sometimes. I think that is important and, and a lot of the other members of council have asked to join in on that. So that's really amazing mm. to see that interest and um, I'm really excited for that opportunity to share that with some other counselors as well. In our strategic priorities we talk a lot about um reconciliation and um, we have committed to reviewing um, our declaration of commitment with the two first nations and also our moving forward together document which it highlights um the truth and reconciliation calls to action that are specific to municipalities and so i think when we review that it would be great to review not just the calls that are specific to municipalities, but also like the ones that are more generalized and, and not all of them will apply to us, but I think there's more. We recently made the, the Yukon University here has this amazing course called um, Yukon First Nations 101. And it teaches all about um, the history and culture of indigenous people in the territory. So that recently has become mandatory training for all city of Whitehurst employees which I think is amazing. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much that we could do. Yeah, that's a really good start. What would you like young women uh, listening, young Indigenous women or anyone from an equity-deserving group that is considering running, uh, what kind of advice would you give? Okay, firstly, actually, the youth today are amazing. I think they're just showing up in these really incredible ways for their peers and their friends and for things that are important to them, you know, like they're protesting and they're coming to these meetings and they're calling out their leadership. And I mean, you're already amazing. Um, and so <laughs> definitely, um, you know, recognize the impact that those things are having. And like, that is leadership. You're already filling those roles. So if running is something that, um, is interesting to you, then absolutely, I would, I would say go for it. Um, and just use that voice in a, in a new way, or like, it, not even in a new way, but with a new platform. It's important for people to hear that and to listen. It's frightening. <laughs> yeah. It's scary. Um, and I have this t-shirt that, um, says fearless on it. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was wearing it one day and I was like, I'm not fearless, I'm scared. <laughs> but then, you know, I just, to me, it just changed the definition of what fearless means, right? And fearless sometimes means 
being afraid and doing it anyway. And what advice do you have for sitting counselors that want to be supportive? You don't have Indigenous representation on your council or um, diverse communities and your committees, things like that, then I think uh, recognize that. Recognize that those voices aren't there. They're not at the table. They're not in the room. And if you're not um, speaking up on those issues that are important to them or that are going to impact them, then then who, who is? These spaces aren't safe spaces for us. And, you know, we can't always be expected to come in and, and fix them because it's not just like a work day where it might be for another counselor. It comes with like a mental load, emotion, risk. So, Exactly. So I guess recognizing that, like just the privilege you have to be in that room and um, feel like safe. If you're thinking of um, speaking up on something like discrimination or racism and, and it makes you feel uncomfortable, then you really need to challenge yourself and think about why that makes you feel uncomfortable um, and how that might make somebody who's actually like affected by those comments feel. And um, just, yeah, speak up, use your voice. Tell me about your pride in your heritage. You know, I didn't get to grow up actually knowing my culture or my language or anything like that. And that's part of, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's part of these effects that colonialism had on my family because my, my dad and, and his siblings, they were removed as young children. Um, and so his um, parents moved them to Alberta and then that's where he raised the, and you know that's where he raised his family and that's where a lot of them still are. I think I wouldn't have maybe ever really known <laughs> if it hadn't been for when I met my husband. So he was going to school in Alberta when I met him, but he is from the Yukon. And so um, I moved here to be with him. And when I told my family, oh, I'm moving to the Yukon, they were like, oh, you know what? I think you have some relatives up there. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, that was how I found out that I had family and, and roots here. I am incredibly thankful to my family here because they just really, like, welcomed me with open arms. We're so close with them now and it's like it's so weird because the families have been separated for like 50 years but they're so alike yeah and then you know the Yukon just always felt like something just felt right about being here it's mm -hmm. always felt like home to me I couldn't imagine living anywhere else now and um so yeah just like in the last seven years, I've been able to connect with my family and my roots and my culture and my language. It was really hard at first for good reason. I wasn't always welcome in these spaces. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it was really hard to kind of break through. And sometimes it still is. I'm really proud. And we've been learning our language. We've been taking classes, learning our language, just connecting with elders and connecting with um, ceremony and just being present in the community and finding our, our people. And we actually found um, an uncle in the last um, 
year. We just met him for the first time this year, and his name was also Theo. Yeah. Wow. So it's just like, I got goosebumps I just, all over. I always have these <laughs> moments like that, you know, where it's just like reminding me that like I'm on the right path and um, just these signs, I guess, like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I think that's a great place to end it. You just inspire so many other people, and, and I really appreciate you sharing that uh, with me today. Thanks so much for the opportunity again. And I hope people will feel inspired and empowered from this. And I, I, I said this to you at the beginning, like that's my ultimate goal is to inspire and empower people, but it's still so weird that I'm inspiring and empowering people. <laughs> Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 